All right, as the children are finding their way out, uh, for those of you that unfortunately are too old for children's church, you got to stay with me. All right, so I'm going to ask you to find uh, uh, the book of Jonah, Old Testament prophet Jonah. And uh, we have started uh, looking through the book of Jonah, and we're uh, still in chapter 1. I'm going to finish it up today. Uh, But I want to share with you today a lesson that uh, Jonah needed to learn that we all need to learn. All right? So if you have your Bibles with you, Jonah chapter 1. All right? One of the uh, closer towards the New Testament, minor prophets as we call them. Book of Jonah. If you got your place, let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord today. Jonah chapter 1, I want to read verses 4 through verse 17. All right, uh, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth their wares, and were in the sea, uh, or the ship into the sea to lighten of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, what meaneth thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if it be so that God will think upon us that we will perish not. And they uh, said, Everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence cometh thou? That, what cunt is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which is made to see in the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was temperous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. For the sea wroth and was temperous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us the innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from their raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly fish three days and three nights. Lord, we ask that as we have read the reading of your word now, Father, uh, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. As we look at these verses, oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to see that we might be running from God, but we can't hide from God. Lord, we know that you will always find us where we are, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our disobedience. Lord, you love us so much to let us wander away from you. So, Father, help us to learn these valuable lessons today that Jonah had to learn that very day. Open up your word to our hearts and open our hearts unto your word. May the Holy Spirit of God move among us 
and move through us today. And Lord, if there's one that needs to know you, Lord, may they be challenged by your spirit to come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, people sometimes ask the question, do you think that God can speak to me today? I simply remind them, you have a God who speaks to our hearts in several ways, three ways, particularly through His Spirit, through His Scripture, and through His saints. You know, isn't it strange how that uh, uh, so many of us, um, it seems to never occur to us as believers that God, the God who spoke to prophets in the past, speaks to us today through the work of His Holy Spirit, His Word, and through people. Some people have a difficulty in believing that God would speak to them. However, they have no trouble believing that God spoke to a man by the name of Jonah. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, and through Him whom we are, uh, he made the universe. So what are we doing about the fact that God does speak to us personally? We talked about that last week. It's no wonder that later in the writing of the Hebrew uh, letter, we read these words today. If you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. And that is my prayer for you today. If the Lord speaks to you today... From his word, do not harden your heart. Jonah is about to learn this truth the hard way. When last we left the reluctant uh, prophet, it seemed to be on the top of the world. He had found a boat headed far from Nineveh all the way to Tarsus as he was running from the Lord. When God told him, go preach to Nineveh, he said, I think I'll go to Tarsus instead. God said, go east, young man. And Jonah said, I think I'll go west, my Lord. Also, as he went down to Joppa, to that ancient port city just south of the modern-day Tel Aviv, I stood on the seashore right there at the very place where perhaps Jonah caught that very boat and looked out upon that uh, uh, new modern uh, area and just thought about the fact that uh, when God made me think just for a minute, you know, what about me? Where do I go when I rebel before the Lord? And so Jonah paid his fare, boarded the ship, and as he left the harbor, he went down below and he took a nap. He had a nice little deal going for him here. It was all working out just as he had planned. He was going to take a comfy Mediterranean cruise. Soon he would be in Tarsus, that beautiful city in Spain, where he could live the highlight far from the presence of the Lord. So he thought. And that's where we left our uh, runaway prophet last week. It was the picture of a self-satisfied man who seemed to have gotten away with disobedience. But might I remind you that whenever you read a story like this in the Bible, you've got to imagine there's going to be a but. Yeah, Jonah got on the ship, took a nap, but, but, and here comes the but. 
God will not let his strained children live in sin forever, my friends. No one gets to ride the, the, the ship of fools forever. We need to be reminded that the same lesson Jonah learned so long ago is the same lesson that we need to learn today. You can run, but you can't hide. So let's take a look at God as he begins the process of bringing Jonah back. Back to the place of obedience from disobedience. Back home to where he belongs. And as we see God deal with Jonah, we'll discover that God deals with us in the very same way when we disobey the Lord. First thing that we find found in verses 4 and 5, that in our times of rebellion and disobedience, He sends the storms to get our attention. You know, the Lord is so good about uh, finding the right way in which the right thing that will get our attention. Jonah is starting to learn it isn't as easy to run away from the Lord as he thought. In fact, it's starting to look like even the elements and nature itself is rebelling at his disobedience. That is a good thing, my friends. One of the great things about our God is that he will not let us go on our own. He will not give up on us. He will not allow us just to continue to live in sin if we are His children. I'm so glad that God doesn't give up on His own. When we run to places where we shouldn't be, whether physically, mentally, or spiritually, there is always the calling of God upon our life, that drawing of the Spirit of the Lord to draw us back to His will and His purposes for our life. And by the way, he has people and nature and inner witness and all kinds of circumstances at his disposal. He has everything that he needs to get the job done. For the Apostle Paul, remember, in his time, God used a vision. Balaam, it was a donkey. For Naomi, it was a famine. For David, he used the story of a lamb. For Peter, all it took was a look from the Lord as the cock crew. For Elijah, it was a still small voice. Some of the means in which God uses in our life are subtle. And some, not so much. And Jonah's going to experience the latter. God's going to get his attention, but not in a subtle way, but in a harsh way. And as we look at that, we're going to find some truths that we need to understand about the storms in our life. First of all, we see that our storms affect us in different ways. Different kinds of storms affect us in different kinds of ways. And God has a unique way of, uh, of putting different storms in our life to get different aspects of our lives' attention. All of us sitting in this room, if we've been around any amount of time, maybe our teenagers don't see this as much, as, but as an adult, we all know that life can turn on a dime. Everything can be going well today and tomorrow it can fall apart. God knows exactly how to get our attention. He knows exactly how much force to push. And He knows how and what it will take. He can send the storm of adverse circumstances into our life at a blink of an eye. He can send a storm of a sudden death of a loved one. He can send a storm of financial collapse. He can send a storm of trouble in the church to get our attention. He can send a storm of a desperately sick child. 
and he can also send the storm of a career implosion. It just depends on what it is that we need in our life to get our attention at that very moment of life. The power of God is so vast that he can choose whatever it will take for him to get our attention once again. Our God in his infinite creativity knows exactly what it'll take for you and I to change our ways. So he sends the storm in in, in many different ways to meet the many different things in our life. When you're in a storm, we tend to become very fearful, sometimes even angry and frustrated with God. It's only later, after we've gone through the storm, that we look back and we see that it was the hand of a merciful God who sent a storm into our life to keep us from destroying our very relationship with Him. You see, God isn't out to hurt us. He's always there to help us. God's love for us is great, but His desire for us to walk with Him is greater. He will not let us slip through His fingers. Our storms affect us in different ways to get our attention at where we are in the life of our disobedience before the Lord. But I want you to understand that the storms that come in our lives are not only getting our attention, but the storms affect others around us. The storms that we allow, that God allows in our life because of our disobedience don't just affect us. I think of what the Scripture said. The Scripture reminds us that, that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. And when we see the world doing its thing, we need to realize that sometimes for God to get the attention of the world, it means that it must affect us as well, even as children. But sometimes when his children are not doing what they need to be doing, sometimes God's attention getter affects the world around us as well. It must have been a bad storm. You know, the Bible says there in verse 4 that God threw this storm at them. So it must have been a bad storm for these professional sailors who, who had seen it all upon the seas, and yet they were, they were hardened uh, by the, the, the storms of life, but yet this sea had caused them to fear. They were scared, and it must have been a terrible storm in which they feared. Here is something for us to think about. This group of unbelievers perhaps started the first interfaith prayer meeting in, in, in history. Because what does the Bible say? That in the midst of this storm, all of them cried out to their gods. They said, we don't care who it is, just everybody gather up. If you've got a God, we're going to pray to him. So what does that say to me? You know what? We need to get together with our fellow brethren and, and pray together. Oh, let me just remind you, oh, by the way, next month, around Thanksgiving, we're going to do just that. We're going to gather some brethren from other churches and we're going to come and have a prayer meeting just before Thanksgiving right here in this house. We're going to have an uh, interdenominational fellowship of prayer. So what is is he saying? You know, uh, um, everyone on board is affected. As a matter of fact, the scripture says they were so afraid of uh, of drowning and the ship going under, they started throwing their, their wares over the profit of their cargo overboard. As because of Jonah's sin, everyone and everything on board was affected. Jonah was the sinner in this situation, and his foolish rebellion endangered everyone around them. 
Listen to me, I got something I want you to hear. I want you to remember this statement, and it's so important and so true. I want you to ponder these next four words. We never sin alone. We never sin alone. Now listen, there's times when we sin and no one else is around. But we never sin alone. Whenever we sin and rebel against God, it affects everyone around us. It affects our families. It affects our church. It affects our community. We never sin alone. Our sin, our compromise, our deceit always injures those around us. Every step of disobedience that we take outside of the will of God hurts folks around us. My friends, we need to be reminded. As Jonah was about to learn, Jonah, you thought that this was just between you and God? But your sin brought danger to all those upon that ship. You see, the Bible tells us that God's going to send storms in our lives to get our attention. And when he sends those storms, sometimes because of our sin, it affects those around us. So with that being said, let me just remind you that if you're going through a storm, you're not alone. It's not only affecting you. There's others around you that's causing trouble. I could go through the scripture and show you time and time again when one person sinned and how it affected entire nations. And so we need to be reminded that if our sin has caused a storm that is affecting others, then we need to deal with our sin. The second thing that we find here that Jonah learns as he tries to run but realizes he can't hide from God is that God not only sends storms to get our attention, he also sends someone else to challenge us. You know, perhaps many of us who have been in situations have had somebody come to us, knock on our door, ring us on the telephone, or even sit down with coffee and say, listen, my heart is broken for the way that you're living your life. It's time for you to see that you're outside of the will of God. You see, the Bible tells us that, that God's always going to use everything in his arsenal to get our attention. When the storms of life don't seem to get our attention, God's going to send someone there to challenge us. As the ship groans and creaks under the whipping of the wind and the heavy waves, and as the men throw their cargo overboard to desperately attempt to save the ship, where's our prophet Jonah? Where's our little guy on the run? The Bible says that he's found himself down in the midst of the ship taking a nap. I don't know if you've ever been on a ship, ever been on a boat, in the rough waves. And, um, you know, I, I, I wonder, especially with that age of technology, I've been on cruise ships and, and the, you know, fierce storms, but yet you don't feel anything. They've got it figured out. But I've been on a, a, a boat, pretty good-sized boat, out fishing in the deep sea. Matter of fact, just a few months ago, and the waters were so bad that we would come up and we would literally go seven, eight feet in the air before we come crashing down. My grandson, Jacob, he's not much of a fisherman. He decided that he was just going to take a nap. <laughs> he lay down on the couch beside us as, as we were hitting one of them waves. I looked over, and there's Jacob going up in the air, and the boat's going down. And I said, well, there goes his nap. He ended up on the floor. I wonder how in the world is Jonah taking a nap when I've been on a boat that tosses you to and fro? 
But let me just remind you that Satan has his way. He has his own sleeping pills that he gives even us. You know, it's amazing how that we can be found asleep when the world around us is crashing down. Well, let's look at what happens. As Jonah finds himself asleep down there, the captain of the ship comes looking for him. And in verse 6, we find that uh, as the the captain um, comes looking for him, they expose his slumbering. At this point, the captain, who is no doubt a pagan, seems to have more faith than Jonah does. As a matter of fact, seeing the danger, he wants Jonah to wake up and start praying. Let me just lay in on a little something. The world doesn't care about our sermons on Sunday morning. The world isn't concerned about how well I preach or how long I preach or how short I preach or if it's three points in a poem. But I can tell you the world is concerned about our prayers. You know, they may not want to hear or know what we're saying on Sunday mornings, but they want to know someone's praying for them. You know, to the world so often... Sundays just seem boring and, and for the most part, irrelevant. That's why on any uh, uh, Sunday morning, almost uh, every Sunday morning, we find many people not in church, not in church anywhere. As a matter of fact, on any given Sunday morning of the year, most people don't go to church. They simply stay home, they stay in bed, they wake up late, they take a, a walk, they read a paper, they go to a ball game. In general, the world lives as if church doesn't even exist. But I can assure you that when the storms of life come, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I've been in hospitals many, many times and had people um, that I didn't know that were going through traumatic things see me pray with my folks and come over and say, would you come and pray for us? You see, even the world as non-believers know when they're in desperate need, they want somebody to pray for them. Even those who claim to be atheists in the midst of their greatest struggle will cry out for somebody to pray for them. You see, we need to understand that if we're going to reach this generation that we live in that seems so turned off to God and so turned off to uh, any kind of uh, uh, religious information, If you and I as the church sit by and just wait for people to come and join us in the pew, we're likely to wait a lifetime. But I want you to know that there are something that you can learn to say to people that will change the way that you would uh, interact with people. A simple little question that you can ask that will cause people to open up their heart before you. And that very few words, how can I pray for you? Those six words make such a difference. The world is waiting for the church to pray. It's time that we wake up to a world who is in need of our prayers. If they get our prayers, one day they might even come and listen to our sermons. But I assure you, my friends, the world is in great need of every one of us praying for them.
The lesson is clear. The world is waiting for the church once again to pray. The world wants us to pray for them. The world is wondering, why are you not praying for me? Are you hearing the words that Jonah heard that day? Wake up! Wake up! Why aren't you praying for us? Do you not know that our life is falling apart? We need your prayers. Pray for me. The world exposed the slumbering of Jonah, but it also exposes the slumbering of the church today. Too many of us are sleeping on the sidelines instead of praying in the battle. Ephesians reminds us that that we fight a spiritual war that is only one on our knees. Church, it's time that we get back on our knees before the Lord. If we want to see a great revival, if we want to see the Spirit of the Lord move and people saved and our community changed and an environment of, of godliness returned to the insanity of our country, it begins on our knees. In church, it's time for us to pray. But not only did it expose his slumbering, but also they exposed his disobedience. If you look at verses 7 through nine, or 10, it tells us that, that uh, um, in the midst of this storm, they did what they only knew. They, they wanted to answer a question that was unanswerable. How do we know who's at fault for this? And verse 7 says, The sailors cast lots, and the lots fell upon Jonah. Casting of lots was an old way of answering the unanswerable questions. The roll of the dice would let God, or, or in, in their case, the gods of, of these pagan sailors that they believed in, decide who was at fault. For the lots fell upon Jonah. This means that it was no coincidence that, that this happened. It was divine providence that God used to point out the disobedience of his servant. God used these pagan sailors to confront the prophet with his own sin. Can you see the irony in it? What the prophet of God is supposed to be doing with the world, the world is doing to the prophet of God. We're to be living our lives and proclaiming the gospel so that the gospel presents to people their lostness and their sinfulness. And it seems as though that even today, it seems as though the world is saying, Church, where are you? It's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to pray. It's time for you to stand on what you believe. The prophet Jonah was called out because of his disobedience. God made it known. This is the man who's caused the problem. This is the man who's living in sin. So they confront Jonah with with the questions. I mean, they they bombard him. What is your occupation and where do you come from and what's your country and whose people are you? Why have you brought this upon us? Jonah answers in verse 9 with with, uh, uh, such doctrinal truth. Look at what he says. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's interesting when you really look at his response. Jonah is technically and doctrinally true. He tells them who God is and who he is, that he's a Hebrew of the Israelites. 
God is the God of heaven and he's the God of the sea and dry land. But the area that Jonah seemed to get wrong was the area of his personal relationship with the Lord at this time. He said, I'm a man who fears God. Really, Jonah? Really, you fear God? Aren't you on the run from God? Aren't you doing your own thing when God told you to do His thing? Jonah, to say I fear God means that I obey God. Jonah, are you obeying God right now? Listen, God's asking us the same question. There's many of us today that said, Oh, who am I? I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Oh, really? You're a Christian? You love the Lord? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you living your life the way that God's called you to live it? Are you serving Him? Are you obeying Him? You know, it's easy to say we're those things. It's a whole lot harder to be those things. And Jonah made a statement that said, this is who God is. And then he, he kind of confused the issue by saying, this is who I am. Listen, my friends. If we claim to fear the Lord, it's time that we start obeying the Lord. You can't say that I fear the Lord while riding the and fleeing boat of rebellion. You see, God used people to wake up Jonah, to show him that, Jonah, you have access to a God that we do not, and you can call upon him, and he can do things that we cannot. My friends, it's time for us to realize that we have access to a God who can do for the world what they cannot do for themselves. It's our job to pray for them. But God oftentimes exposes our rebellion and our disobedience when we're going out into the world, but we're not living the way that we're supposed to be living. We're not serving the way we're supposed to be serving. And when we go out and tell people we're a Christian, I have heard it said, but if that's what a Christian is like, I don't want nothing to do with it. My friends, we need to be realizing that we can't use the word if we're not living the life. The third thing that we learn from this is found in verses 11 through 17 that God always sends salvation in an unusual way. You see, God has always been about doing things only His way. You see, Man has been attempting to save themselves for generations. As a matter of fact, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we find that after Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, they tried to redeem themselves by, by cutting down leaves and sewing them together and making uh, an outfit out of leaves. But God said, listen, you can't cover your sin with leaves. It has to be atoned for by blood. And so the first blood offering was made for the atonement of sin. But man has still continued to try to do salvation in their own ways. And we see it here perfectly laid out. The sailors asked Jonah, what do we need to do? Now listen to the wording. What do we need to do in order to save ourselves from the storm? You see what they were asking? What can I do to save myself? The world is constantly looking for ways in which they can save themselves. But notice the answer that Jonah gives them in verse 12. It's probably one of the very few bright spots in this opening chapter that Jonah actually figures out. 
And he said, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so that the sea shall be calm unto you, for I know that it is for my sake this great tempest has come upon you. In Jonah's statement here, there is a confession. He said, I know that it's my fault this storm is blowing in on all of you. I know that I'm at fault. I know that I'm guilty. My sin has affected all of us. But there's also a solution that Jonah gives. Jonah said, not only is it my fault, but I know what needs to be done for you to be saved. Let me ask you a question, church. Do you know what needs to be done for the world to be saved? Do you know what the Bible says as what it takes for one to receive Christ? I hope so, because I hope that you've done it. If not, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a couple of minutes just to do that. But listen, if we know what the world needs to do, why are we not telling them? You see, Jonah tells them the solution. He said, throw me into the sea and all will be calm and you will be saved. I want you to see that this is a beautiful picture of Jesus emerging through Scripture. Even through the roughness of the character of a man by the name of Jonah, someone in this case, Jonah being it, is going to die for the sake of those around him. Do you see the picture of Jesus? After Jonah told them what they needed to do, look at verse 13. Isn't it amazing how, uh, even though we know what God's told us that he's going to do for us, look at what we try to do. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea was wroth and was temperous against them. Men dug in with their oars trying to to stir the water and trying to save themselves, but they couldn't. The storm continued to rage, and the harder that they pushed, the harder the storm came. Likewise, men dig in today to try to save themselves from their sins by their own efforts. But our works are useless. In the face of God's righteous judgment, there is never good enough. There's only Christ. In the same way today, God has put a plan of salvation into action through Jesus Christ, but yet isn't it amazing how the world is constantly trying to work their way into heaven? They want to do it their way. God said, I've prepared the way. I've made a way. I am the way. But the world says, but I want to do it my way. You see, man's attempt at salvation is always going to be futile. It's always going to end up in a bad place. But thank God, God has a plan of salvation. Look at verse 17. I love this verse. It says, the Lord had prepared a great fish. Ha, ha. If you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline or circle the word prepared. I want you to understand that this was something God did for Jonah. Just as God has prepared salvation through Jesus Christ for us, He prepared a way. He prepared a way for Jonah. The verse tells us that God in all of His grace and all of His mercy provided, prepared for Jonah a great fish. 
There's a lesson here for us all. God did not send the storm or the fish to punish Jonah. He rather sent them to turn Jonah around and to transport him to the proper destination. We'll see that in the next chapter. Folks, always be reminded the storms and the great fish that comes in our life that God sends our way are not to destroy us, but rather to deliver us. You may be going through some problem right now that that is perfectly designed to draw you closer to God. You see, God does not want to hurt you. His desire is to help you, to draw you nearer to Him. Let me remind you that it is the devil in his desire to, to hurt you. For the Bible says that it is the devil who has come to seek and to destroy but God who has come to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Notice this about God's plan. There was no other person able that day to take Jonah's place. You know, traditionally it's the captain who steps up and says, listen, I'll take one for the team. It's my job to go down with the ship, so go ahead and throw me overboard in place of him. Listen, No one but Jonah could calm the sea because God had come for Jonah. And just like us today, even though we look for other ways in which we can claim salvation, Jesus is the only way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only the death of Jesus is sufficient to stem off the tide of God's wrath and to save us from our sin. Yet unlike Jonah, Jesus is the only innocent one to ever stand on the deck of humanity's ship. And it is because of his innocence that he can come before God and man and make himself a worthy sacrifice on our behalf. Therefore, the words of Peter become more succinct in our hearts and in our lives when Peter said, there is no other name whereby we can and must be saved apart from the name of Jesus the Christ. He is not merely a good choice among many choices. He's not merely a savior among many saviors. He is the only savior. He's the only way. And if you're trying to find your way to heaven in any other way than Jesus, you're going to drown. You're going to drown. So let me close with a few applications of drawing. Perhaps there's someone here today who finds themselves just like Jonah outside of the will of God. Now, you may not have been asked to go preach to some weird and crazy place, but God's been speaking to your heart and you've been running the wrong way. I want you to understand something. You're headed for a big storm. And there will be a great fish. The great storm is to get our attention. The great fish is to bring us back to the place where we need to be. So would you please just heed my advice this morning? Turn around now. 
Tell God you're sorry and you want to do for Him what He's called you to do. Perhaps there's someone here today that's sensing God's leadership to do more than sit in the pew. To be more than just a a casual attender. But to join the body of Christ here at Midway where you can be a part of a church family that loves the Lord and is trying to serve the Lord at the best of our abilities. And we need laborers for the field. You know, I told you that our sin will always take us down, down, down. But let me remind you, the word of the Lord will always take us up, up, and up. If we obey. But most importantly, if you're here this morning, and you're living without the assurance of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying when, when you talk about um, um, Lord speaking to you, you talk about the Lord guiding your life, you talk about the Lord saving you, it means nothing to me. I don't understand what you're saying. I ask you to just bow your head and open your heart to the Lord this morning. Just allow His Spirit to speak to you. God came to save those that are lost. He came to save those who have rebelled and walked away from Him and and made a way so that we can return to Him. And His name is Jesus. Jonah learned and will continue to learn the lesson of, uh, of God's provision. I want you to learn that provision today. I want you to know that God has already done everything it takes for your sins to be forgiven. Everything that it takes for you to be secure in your relationship with the Lord. Everything that it takes for you to get to heaven, God has already done for you. All we have to do is receive it. Accept it. Open our heart to Him. His word says to us, come unto me. Trust me. Turn from your own wicked ways and and believe upon him that one who is the only salvation for your human soul. He reminds us that we can't run from God forever. The Bible's filled with men and women who tried to run from the Lord only to meet him one day. The Apostle Saul, well, became the Apostle Paul. Saul found him on the road to Damascus, and God hit him right between the eyes. And he repented, and he changed his life, and he began to walk with the Lord and became one of God's greatest men. But I want you to hear that there are those who have rejected and refused and said, I will go to my grave, but I will never accept Christ I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul said. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I was wrong. And you were right. You are God. Don't let it be that way. I beg of you, 
God is here today and he wants to meet you right where you are. He's provided. A big fish. His name is Jesus. To lead you right where you need to be. But you've got to respond to him. You've got to come to him.